You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Well, good morning, Mission Church family. It is a joy to be joining you in your homes and just the opportunity for us to worship together. So thankful for Kyle and the team doing such a fantastic job and leading us in the praises of Jesus and glad that you are here this morning to hear God's word. Uh, Today is Pentecost Sunday. And if you don't know what Pentecost Sunday is, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 31, The apostles, Jesus' disciples, have been waiting obediently, according to his command, not to leave Jerusalem until Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And like a mighty and rushing wind, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they begin speaking in tongues. Tongues simply means other languages and people from all over Jerusalem coming from different countries and nationalities are able to hear the gospel in their own tongue. And uh, just an amazing celebration today of God doing what he said he was going to do. And the prophet Joel saying, I will pour out my spirit on my people. And what a joy for us to have the spirit of God, the living God residing in us. We together are his house, his dwelling place. So happy Pentecost Sunday to you. A few announcements for you, uh, some things going on at the church that we want to make sure you know about. We are thrilled to announce that we are going to be open next Sunday. I know it has been a tremendously long wait. Um, I know it's required patience. There's been some frustration, but we are so excited and just praising the Lord that we have the opportunity to gather again next Sunday, June 7th. We will be holding both our 8.30 and 10.30 services. We are going to have some modifications in order to create an environment that is um, healthy for everybody. And so we encourage you to visit our website, uh, to check your email. We'll be sending out a very detailed email this week about the different modifications and adjustments we'll be making to our services next week. But more than anything, we are just excited to worship Jesus together with you. Also, uh, Tuesday nights, tune in live at 6 p.m. You can go to Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or our website for our Revelation study. Uh, Pastor Dave has been leading us through the book of Revelation, and right now we are in the seven letters to the seven churches. And really a powerful look at what God would speak to his church here at the Mission Church. And we encourage you, tune in with us 6 p.m. Tuesday nights. There's also a question and answer time in which you can text your questions. Um, We put them up here on the screen, and Pastor Dave helps answer those. Really a sweet time in the Word, and we encourage you to join us. Uh, We have some other things going on that is exciting here at the church. Uh, Our young adults ministry, as well as our youth ministries, both junior high and high school, are back meeting on campus. And so young adults is every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., just an opportunity for friendship, uh, to worship together. We're going through the book of Isaiah. We just started that last week. And we encourage you, if you're 18 to 30 years old, come on in. Wednesday night, 7 p.m., just for an incredible opportunity to have community in Christ. And then, of course, we have junior high, 7 p.m. on Tuesday nights 
and senior high on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. So looking forward to seeing you students and uh, college and young adults here next week. Also, we are doing a partnership with the STEP organization. STEP is support the enlisted project. We help local military families get the needs uh, that they require. A lot of them are falling on uh, difficult financial times right now in the season of COVID-19. So we're asking you, if you are able and willing, we'd love for you to bring in some baby items. Uh, we're looking at things like diaper rash cream, uh, diapers, wipes, baby powder, baby soap, and shampoo. And this is just an opportunity, again, to bless the military families that are selflessly serving our country, and uh, we have the opportunity to encourage them in this season. You can bring those items to the church during the week, Monday through Friday. Go ahead and call the church number 760-487-8890 to schedule a time for those things to be dropped off. Well, in addition to the things that are going on at our church, um, there is a lot going on in our country. I just want to address a few of those. Uh, probably many of you, if you've not heard or even seen um, the murder of George Floyd, uh, that has really sparked an incredible amount of sadness, of anger, of frustration, and communities are reeling from what has happened. Um, we also see violent protests and rioting and looting as a response to not only the death, but the oppression that certain communities are feeling. And so we really need to be in prayer for our nation that continues to seem more and more divided every week. Um, what an opportunity for the church to be different. What an opportunity for the church to seek justice and mercy and faith and to encourage those who feel oppressed. And so um, be in prayer about that. Uh, also, a couple of other things going on that probably deserve attention. Uh, the Supreme Court did rule that what California has instituted as 100 people or less in a church building is constitutional, according to the Supreme Court. Uh, obviously, as churches, we would love to have more people in our buildings. Um, but right now, the Supreme Court says, hey, it's not just churches. It's also movie theaters and restaurants and concert venues and sporting events. And so um, that's another thing to be in prayer about for the Lord to give wisdom and discernment to our leaders making those decisions. And then obviously the continued uh, pandemic with COVID-19. I know that things are starting to open up, but there's still a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. And so we want to be in prayer for all of these things, that God would bring healing to our land, that he would do a mighty work, not only in our nation's leaders, but also in the hearts of the church. Remember that judgment begins with God's house. We don't want to go pointing the finger outside of the church. We want to look inward, go, Lord, what do you want to do in us so that we can be a testimony of who you are? So with that, why don't I pray this morning, and then we're going to get into an amazing study in Matthew chapter 6 as we continue this series, Unexpected Messiah, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Would you pray with me this morning? Oh Lord, the creator of the universe and the mighty God, we come before you and we need you. There's no fancy way of needing to say it. Lord, we're desperate for you. Our government is fighting. People are angry, sick. Fear runs rampant. Corruption is everywhere. Oh, Lord, you are the light. 
You are the truth. You are the only way. So God, this morning, would you speak through the power of your word to our hearts and minds? Lord, as individuals, as the corporate body gathered together in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you reveal to us how we can become more like your son? Jesus, we are thankful for your death and for your resurrection. We are thankful for the promised Holy Spirit that you poured out 2,000 years ago on this day of Pentecost. God, we worship you this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We are uh, just about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you don't know anything about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it is by far the most profound sermon you'll ever hear. So whether it's myself or Pastor Dave or John Piper or Billy Graham, you'll never hear a sermon as moving and powerful as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so we're kind of going through this passage relatively slowly. And today we're going to cover 18 verses, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, where Jesus is specifically looking at the intent of spiritual discipline, the intent of spiritual discipline. Uh, Last week, Pastor Dave looked at the section of Matthew chapter 5, where we looked at the intent of the Bible. And he reminded us that the intent of the Bible is to guide our hearts, not just our actions. And as Christians, we can easily find ourselves simply going through the motions. We can use church language or Christian language. Uh, We may know the Bible stories. Hey, we may watch every week online or we may come to church every single week. But what Jesus is reminding his followers is, hey, listen, it's not just about what you do. It's more about the heart with which you do it from. And so we looked at the intent of the Bible last week. And then this week, Jesus is going to address three important spiritual disciplines. The first one is considered almsgiving or giving or good works. Uh, This was a staple in the Jewish community that everyone was expected to do. Uh, The second is prayer. Uh, both a a good Jew and a good Christian was considered um, someone that needed to be a person of prayer. And Jesus is really going to address the heart of that. And then lastly, Jesus addresses fasting, which may be uh, new for some of you, or maybe you've never participated in fasting before. And hopefully uh, by the end of today's message, you'll have a better understanding of why Jesus calls his followers to fast and what the heart is behind that. And so we're really going to look at these three spiritual disciplines. And a spiritual discipline is simply this. It's a way of life given to us through the scriptures for the purpose of living to be more like Jesus. It's a way of life given to us through the scriptures for the purpose of living to be more like Jesus. Uh, Oftentimes in our own life, we have different disciplines. Uh, Some of you might be runners. You may go running to blow off steam, to burn calories, Uh, to make your physique look better, who knows what it is, but that would be considered a discipline. Or some people engage in uh, food disciplines where they only eat certain foods or they withhold from certain foods, and we'll talk about that in fasting. Uh, Another example of kind of a worldly discipline would be uh, how much sleep you're getting. 
So we're told, hey, you need eight hours of sleep a night. If you're getting eight hours of sleep a night, good for you. Uh, maybe you can help me out with that. That's not, a, that's not something that I tend to do a very good job with. But nevertheless, these spiritual disciplines are for the purpose of us living to be more like Jesus. And I can remember playing college football uh, back east. And as a middle linebacker, our job was just to hit people. That's all we did was hit people. And so we would drill over and over and over again these contact drills where we would literally just be smashing helmets or working on tackling. And it became very tiresome. And to be honest with you, we had headaches every single practice because of what we were doing. And there were a few guys on my team, not not me, of course, but there was a few guys on our team that when the coach wasn't looking, you just kind of give the other guy a nod like, hey, let's go like half speed at this one so that we don't waste energy or that we don't hurt ourselves or that I don't get a worse headache. And oftentimes when a coach wasn't looking, we would go half speed or you might call it going through the motions. And what Jesus is going to do in this passage is he's going to address what does it mean when we go through the motions of Christianity? What does it mean when we take matters of the heart and simply transform them into outward actions without a heart. Why is that dangerous? What does that look like? And how do we not fall into that trap so that we can actually live like Jesus, wholehearted pursuit of what is good and right and true? And so this morning, I want you to kind of keep that analogy in mind. Are you going through the motions in certain areas of your walk with Jesus? Are you just using the language? Are you simply praying at meals? Or are you uh, saying, hey, I fasted today because you didn't eat that jack-in-a-box milkshake? Or what's the heart behind what you're doing? So we're going to get into the scriptures now. Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus begins in verses 1 through 4 by saying, Take heed that you do not... that." Excuse me. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. What is Jesus talking about here about these charitable deeds? Well, in Jewish culture, both in Jesus' day and then also in our day today, almsgiving or giving to the poor was a significant part of Jewish faith practice. And here's the thing. Jesus addresses three very important things that all of us should be doing in our faith almsgiving or giving, tithing to the church or to the poor. We should also be praying and we should also be fasting. But what Jesus wants to do is he wants to address the heart of what was happening. And Jesus says, listen, when you give alms to the poor, there's a reason why you do. You see, oftentimes in Jewish circles, it was taught that giving alms to the poor meant that you would gain favor with God. Your literal action of giving money to somebody else would make God smile upon you or that you could earn his blessing. 
Even deeper than that, some circles of Judaism taught you would actually attain the forgiveness of sins through almsgiving. As a matter of fact, when we look at the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament today, once the temple was destroyed and animal sacrifices could no longer be offered by the Jews, almsgiving became one of the primary ways for Jews to atone for forgiveness. Now, as followers of Jesus, we know that the only atonement for our sins is Jesus himself. We can never do any kind of good works that would possibly gain us God's favor, that could possibly cover our sins. And yet for the Jewish culture, almsgiving or simply good works was a way to earn God's favor and forgiveness. And so Jesus wants to address this head on. Notice what he says. He says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Uh, I am certainly guilty of this in my own life, but how many times have we ever gone, man, somebody's watching me. I better be on my best behavior. Uh, As a parent, I have this terrible temptation to parent my children according to their behavior. Hey, you better behave. But oftentimes, the problem with behavior is we don't always get to the heart. And what Jesus is doing is he's getting to the heart of why we are called to do good works. You see, if I go back to that football example, if my goal was simply to look good to my coach when he's looking, then truly, who is that good work for? Well, it's for myself. It's me being selfish. It's me wanting to look good. It's me wanting to be self-righteous. And that's no different than when we're at work. If the only time we really work hard or we do something um, wholeheartedly is when our boss is watching us or when the eyes of somebody else is upon us, then truly we're only working hard for ourselves and not for God. Jesus says, hey, don't just do charitable deeds to be noticed by men. And then he says, otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Well, it's probably unlikely that most of the Jewish religious leaders, and Jesus here is specifically referring to the scribes and Pharisees, it's not that they would actually go blowing trumpets in the streets, but here's often what would happen, is they would give for the praise of man. They would give when people were watching. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. You are so diligent to tithe your mint, your dill, your cumin, literally out of your herb gardens, and yet you neglect the weightier matters of the law, mercy and justice and faith. Do these and also do not neglect what you're already doing. The heart of what Jesus is saying is, listen, almsgiving, charitable giving, good works, I died so that you may pursue those things. But they are a result of our salvation. They are not for our salvation. They do not earn us salvation. They could not possibly cover the scarlet stain that our sins have left. Jesus gets to the heart and says, listen, the rewards you get for doing things for the praise of man is simply the praise of man. There is no heavenly reward. And so he provides instruction to his disciples. He says, but when you do a charitable deed, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh, if we're speaking literally, that's pretty much impossible, right? I mean, that would look kind of silly to where you're like this. Oh, I don't. That's not what Jesus is getting at. What he is getting at is, who are you congratulating? Who are you praising? Who gets the glory when you are obedient to the love that God has already given you? Jesus tells his disciples, he says, listen, when you do a good deed, don't do it because you've set it up or you're looking for praise and glory. Do it because God has gifted you everything that you need through his son, Jesus Christ. And out of the love that God has for you, you should pursue good works. It should be the natural response to what has already happened inside of your heart. Um, I, have a, I have a little note for you here if you're taking notes this morning. Good works are a response to God's love. Good works are a response to God's love. Uh, this is so important for us to understand because this is a, an easy self-check for us. If we're helping out a neighbor bring in the trash cans, or uh, perhaps we're meeting with a family member who for the hundredth time is in trouble again. Or maybe we're financially helping to provide for someone who is in need. Where is our heart? Are we doing this because, goodness gracious, God, you love me so much that how can I not extend that love to others? Or do we find ourselves simply doing it in order to receive praise or doing it knowing that others will know what we have done? Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, the Apostle Paul is bringing a close to his letter to the church in Corinth, which, if you don't know, had quite a few problems. We kind of joke and call it First and Second Californians. It's, a, it's very much the same premise of a lot of the things we struggle with in our culture. But look at what Paul says in summary to the church in Corinth. He says, let all that you do be done with love. Good works are a response to God's love. That is the heart. That is the intent of the spiritual discipline of giving. So that when we give, we are constantly reminded, oh, Jesus died for my sins. He was raised up from the dead. I now receive the crown of life because of what he has done. Therefore, my desire is to do good works, is to love others to build them up and not tear them down. What a powerful message, not only for the people in Jesus' day who could get caught up in pleasing men, but certainly for us, including myself, of it's easy to pursue wanting people to go, wow, boy, you're amazing. Gosh, I wish I could be as righteous as you. And Jesus says, no, do your good work so people can go, oh, Jesus is so righteous. He's so loving. He's so full of grace. Now, Jesus continues. And uh, before I move on, I just want you to notice in, uh, I believe it's verse 4 here. It says that your charitable deed may be in secret. For your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. We're going to talk more towards the end of the sermon of what is this secret place that's being talked about? What is this open reward that God is going to gift us? Uh, you'll notice a pattern in all three of these, good works, prayer, and 
fasting, Jesus talks about this secret place where only our Father sees as well as the open reward, and we'll get to that toward the end of the message. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, a little bit of a longer section, and this is talking about prayer. Specifically, this section is known because, as many of you know, uh, this is about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, right? Many of us know that whether you grew up in church or whether you didn't grow up in church. And Jesus is really addressing not so much what to pray, some magical incantation or some words that get his attention, but he's looking at the intent of the spiritual discipline of prayer, how to pray, not specifically what to pray, concerned about the heart less than the words. So let's get into Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Jesus says this, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. This is very familiar language from the section we just went through in verses 1 through 4. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I want to stop here for just a moment, uh, give you a little bit of context of what is Jesus talking about? Who are these hypocrites and why are people praying on street corners? Uh, Interestingly enough, the word hypocrite is a Greek word and it actually was the term for an actor. Uh, That was the original term for an actor, was a hypocrite, and it later became a term that was associated with someone who was two-faced, who played a role outwardly that people could see, but inwardly, or their real life, was not actually the role that they were displaying to others. And we all know uh, this word hypocrisy. Nobody likes to be called a hypocrite, right? Someone who says one thing but does another. And boy, are we in a season where we're watching a hypocrisy run rampant um, in politics, in governing bodies, and unfortunately right here in the church as well. And I think it's good for us, not only as a church corporately, but as individuals to go, Lord, is there hypocrisy in my life? Because here's the thing, no one likes to be called a hypocrite. But most likely, most of us have some kind of hypocrisy in our own lives. And here's the beauty We could beat ourselves up or we can point the finger at others. But this is the whole purpose of why Jesus is preaching about the intent of spiritual discipline. It's to become more like Christ. It's to reveal the sin in us. As Pastor Dave talked about last week, right? The law reveals our sin and it points us to Jesus, the overcomer of sin and death. And so as Jesus is talking about prayer, he mentions these hypocrites, and he is referring to the scribes and Pharisees, but hey, insert name here, right? This isn't just about ancient Jewish leaders. This is about us as Christians. Where are we being hypocritical in our walk with Christ? And one of those areas could be prayer. In ancient uh, in ancient Israel, there would be certain times of day, uh, certain times of the day when Jews would pray. Um, That would be the nine o'clock hour, the three o'clock hour. And oftentimes, religious leaders would just happen to find themselves around nine o'clock or three o'clock standing in the busiest public marketplace that they could. And because they were very religious, they would stop right where they were and they would pray out loud and people would watch them 
and listen to them and ooh and ah over oh your prayers are so eloquent oh your prayers are so holy I don't even know half of what you said in that amazing prayer but oh it must be good God must be giving favor to you you must be one of his favorites and Jesus comes and he takes that scale and he tips it upside down or what really is right side up you see Jesus is saying listen It's not about what people see and hear. It's about what God sees and hears from your heart, not just your lips. Notice in verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in that secret place, your Father who sees in secret and will openly reward you. Uh, The prophet Daniel is a great example of this. Uh, When the king issued a decree that, No one could pray to anyone except him for 30 days. What does Daniel do? Well, he goes into his room. He's not looking for trouble, but he's also not going to obey the decrees of man. Instead, he goes to his room, he faces Jerusalem on his knees, and he prays, not to show anybody anything, but to have communion, to speak, to participate in God's will, which is really incredible. And Again, we're going to talk about the secret place a little bit later, but many of you have heard of something called a a prayer closet, right? Or a prayer room. And there's nothing wrong with prayer closets or prayer rooms, but I want to make something clear. Jesus is not talking about a place. It's not about a location. And this is really important for us to understand because we can get caught up in buildings. We can get caught up in sacred spaces. But the truth is that wherever Christ and his spirit is with us is the sacred place. We can pray at work. We can pray at home in the quietness of our room. We can pray while we're driving in our car. We can stop anywhere in the world and we can have communion with God. And it's not about who's listening from a man-centered perspective. It's about who's listening. It's our Father in heaven. We continue in verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. I love verses 7 and 8. It brings to mind 1 Kings chapter 18. If you've not read the story about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and you're looking for some good entertainment that is violent, that's a great place to go. 1 Kings 18, and the story goes like this. There are over 400 prophets of Baal, and they challenge the one prophet of the Lord, Isaiah. And Isaiah says, okay, I'll tell you what, you go first and you cry out to your God and we'll see what he does. And for over half the day, these 400 prophets are chanting and praying and cutting themselves with stones and knives to try to get Baal's attention. Now, Baal isn't even a real God, but they think he is and he never responds. Now, I don't want to take it so far as to say that we in the church practice the same thing. But I'm sure many of you have been part of public prayer where there's that person, not you, of course, but there's that person that prays and prays and prays and doesn't give anybody else a chance to pray. And they use eloquent words or they use long theological phrases. And the temptation for us is that in a world where depending on how well spoken you are or how good you look, or how important you seem, that's how we get ahead in life. And yet God's kingdom is very different. 
The heart of God is not about worldly power or treasure. Jesus teaches, listen, it's not about how long your words are. It's not about using special words. I just want your heart. And so he teaches the disciples this model prayer. And here is where the Lord's prayer comes from. Remember, this is Jesus teaching us how to pray, not specifically what to pray. Not you have to use these words, but here is the heart. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. A few things to note here. One, we could do entire sermons on the Lord's Prayer, and we don't have time to do that, so I'm going to go through it briefly. But two, I want you to notice something. Jesus, the Son of God who left heaven for earth, the incarnate word, teaches his disciples how to pray in like 20 seconds. Now, that doesn't mean all our prayers need to be 20 seconds, and it doesn't mean that praying for 20 minutes is wrong. But notice that Jesus doesn't use lofty language. This is the, this is the way we can commune, commune with God, regardless of our education level, regardless of how long we've been walking with Christ. He teaches us how to pray. Look at what he says. He starts with our Father. This is a communal prayer. It's not just individual our Father, the body of Christ, and it's intimate and personal. Um, no other time before Jesus had Father been used. That was a deeply intimate way of describing God, and yet Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Our Father, oh Lord, you are so near to us that we are your children. You've adopted us into your family. And then Jesus teaches his disciples about reverence. Our Father in heaven, who reigns on high, holy be your name, hallowed be your name. There is a special reverence in this prayer to this personal Father that we have. And then notice in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are three things to note here from verses 9 and 10. It's about the name of God, it's about the kingdom of God, and it's about the will of God. None of that has to do with us. All three of those things has to do with Jesus. His name be glorified because it is holy. His kingdom come, right? People in Jesus' day expected the Messiah to come and rule and reign over Rome. To bring back the glory days of King David and King Solomon where gold was flowing in the streets. There was peace on all sides. Everyone wanted that Jerusalem back. And yet Jesus teaches his disciples, it's not about your comfort. Prayer is not about your greed. It's about what you need. And what you need is Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus teaches his disciples submission and trust. We are to desire the will of God, just as it's done in heaven, right? God rules and reigns in heaven. Everything he wants to do is done. On earth, there is this season of people resisting and rebelling and God having mercy and grace to allow that to happen so that more people will come to salvation through, their, through his son, Jesus Christ. 
He continues in verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Jesus is not being metaphorical. We're not talking about the bread of life. We're talking about daily needs. We're talking about physical needs, food, water, shelter, um, human love and affection. We can ask God for what we need. But we also know from verse 8 that our Father knows the things we need even before we ask. And so we have this submission and trust And then there is this section of confession. Forgive us our debts. And I love that the New King James Version uses the word debts because I think it's so important. We are in debt because of our sin, a debt that we cannot pay. And yet through Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. When we consider, uh, as he continues, he says, and forgive us our debts and as we forgive our debtors. Because we've been forgiven, we are to forgive others, right? This is the idea of Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Mercy, mercy. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, Leading us into temptation, that word temptation can also be switched out with testing and trial. So it's not just about uh, the temptation to do evil. It can also be the testing of one's faith. We are not to go looking for that. We are not to go seeking that. And as we pray this, lead us not into temptation. We're not to be like Samson, who was not supposed to drink wine and yet was walking through the vineyard. Don't be praying, hey, God, keep me from temptation, and then going to websites that you're not supposed to go to. Or don't be saying, lead me not into temptation, but then getting uh, around a bunch of people that are drinking if you have a problem with alcohol. To lead us not into temptation means to walk in the ways of Jesus and to deliver us from evil, to to literally pull us up out of the muck and mire from death. A lot of scholars uh, argue about, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, Was that added later? It probably was, but not something that should be taken out of the scripture as it enhances or adds to uh, in a way that honors God for his glory. We have to move on because I'm going a little bit slow for time here. So verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men with their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Jesus emphasizing forgiveness. So when we look at Jesus unpacking what it means to exercise the spiritual discipline of prayer. Here's what I want you to remember. Prayer is our participation in God's will. Prayer is our participation in God's will. It's our willingness to submit to what he is doing and to answer the call of him saying, hey, come, participate with me. Join me with what I'm doing. You are my child and I want to give you my kingdom. What an incredible gift. Um, Pretty neat. Jeremiah 33 verse 3, the prophet says this, uh, speaking for God. He says, call to me and I will answer you. And show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Prayer is for that purpose. Uh, Again, we're not informing God of what we need. He knows what we need. But when we participate in that communion, that conversation with him, oh, he will reveal things that we did not know and we did not see. We're going to get to this last section here on fasting. Uh, Verses 16 through 18, Jesus teaches his disciples this. Moreover, When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I love this about fasting. Uh, Here's what fasting is. Fasting is an abstinence of food for a certain amount of time. It's literally not eating. That's what fasting is. Fasting is not for the purpose of getting healthy physically. Fasting is not for the purpose of not consuming calories. Fasting is not for the purpose so that you can get a better figure. Fasting as a spiritual discipline is for the purpose of feasting on God's word. Fasting is feasting on God's word. Matthew chapter 4 is the perfect example that Jesus models for us. When Jesus is baptized by his cousin John and he's raised up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and leads him into the wilderness where for 40 days and nights he fasts. Wow, that sounds terrible. How many of you would like to fast from food for 40 days? You would be emaciated and hungry. It would be really difficult. But what does Jesus say here? He says, hey, don't walk around with a sad countenance. And this is what would happen. Some of the religious leaders would be fasting. And as a matter of fact, the Pharisees fasted twice a week. And they made that very clear to Jesus in the scriptures. And Jesus would say, yeah, but you do it in a way of you go around like, oh, oh, hey, it's, it's fasting day for me. I, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm fasting for, uh, because I'm a holy person. And Jesus says, hey, that is for the praise of man. And you will have your reward in full when people go, oh, wow, you're so holy. And here's the thing. Do we do that in other ways? I can remember as a, as a high schooler asking my parents if I could go to a party or go to a place I knew I couldn't go to. And I would have to tell my friends, no, I'm a Christian. I can't do that. I can't participate in that because I go to church. That's the same thing as having a sad countenance of, oh, I'm fasting today. No, what does Jesus say? He says, hey, put your makeup on. Wash your face. Be joyful because fasting isn't about starving. Fasting is about feasting on God's word. Instead of consuming physical food, we are to find our strength and our weakness to what God provides in his word. And we see that played out after the 40 days of fasting, Jesus and Satan himself, and Satan comes to tempt Christ. And what is Jesus' response to all three temptations? God's word, God's word, God's word. Be gone, Satan. Oh, fasting is feasting on God's word. This is the intent of fasting as a spiritual discipline, so that whether it's a couple of hours, a couple of days, or a couple of weeks, let your heart be in the right place of, Lord, I know I will become physically weak. I want to be spiritually strong, to rely on your word and your spirit. Uh, Notice here, um, Jesus is teaching specifically, feast on the word of God. You need it as much as you need food. So I promised you that we would get towards the end of the sermon and talk about this secret place. For all three of these good works, prayer and fasting, Jesus says, do these things in secret where your heavenly father will reward you openly. Here's what I love. The secret place is not a location. The secret place is where your heart and your mind are when you engage in these spiritual disciplines. 
And I want you to take this note down. The secret place is where we seek God's glory. The secret place is where we seek God's glory. It's not about us. If we find ourselves doing good works, praying, or fasting for any other reason except glorifying God, we will receive our reward, which is simply just the praise of man. So church family, I want to encourage you. Really do some soul searching this week. Why do you do the good things that you do? Is it because of God's love or is it because you want to be seen and praised by others? We live in this culture saturated with media and social media. And oftentimes it's very easy for us to get recognition kind of in subtle ways by posting different things. Where is your hardness? Jesus wants you to do good works out of love. He wants you to pray to participate in his will. He does want you to fast. Fasting is an important spiritual discipline, which is statistically shown to help you resist temptation. Men, when you fast from food, it allows you to say no to sexual temptation in a much easier way. We are so attached to food and oftentimes to sex uh, within the context of marriage that fasting actually helps us to resist sexual temptation. Practice fasting, but do it by feasting on God's word, not filling that void with other things from the outside. Do these things in secret where we can pursue God's glory. Now, I want to finish with an extended passage of scripture from the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was in a time period when the nation of Israel and Judah were in turmoil. They had been divided They were worshiping idols, chasing after other gods. They were corrupt, unjust, unmerciful, not forgiving one another, engaged in all kinds of uh, sinful practices. And yet, they still went to temple. They still offered sacrifices. And they were still praying to God. And here's what God had to say to his people in that time period, and I believe also for us today. This is extended, so bear with me, but read these words on the screen as we go through Isaiah 1, 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now remember, God is speaking to his people and he's likening them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe one of the most detestable places in all of scripture That's how serious God takes the heart of spiritual discipline. Not just action, he wants the heart. And he says this, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings to rams and the fat of fed cattle. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? To trample my courts. In other words, Stop pouring into my sanctuary. Stop putting money in the tithe box. Stop doing good works in my name when you're filled with sin and iniquity. Stop. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wow, that's harsh. And yet God takes the heart of our worship that seriously. If it was just about going through the motions, if it was just about impressing the coach or the pastor or your husband or your wife or your neighbor or your boss, then we could simply just do the actions without really thinking about the heart behind them. But Jesus says, no, this is the kingdom of God. You love others because you have been loved. You pray to participate in God's will, not your will. You fast to feast on the word, not to fill it with other things or to get praises from men. And God calls out his people, turn from your wicked ways. It's gotten so bad, I won't accept your prayers any longer. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want my prayers hindered. When I read this passage this week, when I studied this, oh, I am convicted in certain areas of my life. It is so easy for me to get caught up in going through the motions. When you're tired, when you're putting in that long work week, when you're just sick of the kids complaining, or when you're frustrated with a family member or a friend, it's easy just to go through the motions. And the problem is, for those of us who've grown up in the church or who know God's word, we can put on a pretty good face in the way we speak and even in the way we act. And yet God says, oh, I'm here to grip your heart. I'm here to pull the the sin and the muck out of your life so that everything you do is for my glory and not your own. Now, if we ended right here, it would be a little bit depressing, but we're going to keep going in Isaiah. So look at verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, Plead for the widow. Yeah, yeah, God, I'm going to do those things. I'm going to step up. How? How do I change my wicked heart that pursues glory for myself to just snapping into doing justice, mercy, defending those who are oppressed, the fatherless and the widow? How do I do that? Well, you don't. It's not possible. You can't work your way into it. You can't muster up enough strength, enough morale to possibly cover the wickedness that we've done. So look at what God says to his people in verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Oh, I love this. Hang with me if you're, if you're still there and you haven't put us on pause yet. Jesus says, come reason with me. Oh, that, that the God of the universe who is perfect and pure, would say to a sinner like me, come, let's talk about this. I can work this out for you. I can help you. I can do this for you. And then look at what happens. God says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. 
Oh my goodness. What is Isaiah saying here? He's prophesying of what's to come in Jesus. The only way our scarlet sins can be made white as snow is through the blood of the Lamb shed for us once and for all. You see, it's not about what we do. It's about the heart that gets placed in us and that only comes through the person of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah tells the people as a mouthpiece for God, stop going through the motions. God wants spiritual authenticity. And the only way you're going to get that is through Jesus. The only way you can receive that kind of heart is through the Messiah. And so I have two last notes for you here. Spiritual discipline magnifies the heart of God. When we spend time doing good works, right? Christ died for us so that we can do good works. Not so that uh, we do good works so we get the, the gift or the reward. No, we do good works out of the love God's given us through his son, Jesus Christ. When we pray, we are participating in God's will, saying, I submit to you and I trust you. And then finally, when we fast, we're ingesting, we're digesting, we're, we're feeding and feasting on the word of God. When we are spiritually disciplined followers of Jesus, the heart of God is magnified in us. It can't not be. And then finally, God desires spiritual authenticity. Church family, let us be a church that is authentic. Not just one that puts on good window dressings, not just one that uses language. Praise Jesus. God is good all the time. Yes, those things are true. But let us be a church that has a heart full of God's love in which the good works, the prayers, the fasting that comes out of it, it reflects Jesus, who in power and might will work through his spirit in incredible ways to transform the lives of your sons and your daughters of your family members and your friends, of an entire community. That's what happens when there's spiritual authenticity. Church family, it has been a joy to go through Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 18 with you. Thank you for taking time to be with us. For many of you, we can't wait to see you next Sunday. For those of you who are making that decision for your own health to stay at home, know this. We love you. We fully support you. It's not less righteous to stay home. And we are going to continue to provide both the online worship and messages for you so that you don't miss out because we deeply care for you and we are praying for you. God bless you and thank you for being with us this morning. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.